he got all of that one. Got all of that one. Welcome to In the Rough, a podcast dedicated to golfing in the Treasure Valley and beyond. And beyond. In the Rough is presented by First Tee Idaho, providing accessibility and affordability to golf while teaching our youth respect, integrity, courtesy, perseverance, sportsmanship, honesty, judgment, responsibility, and confidence. First Tee Idaho, because golf is more than a game. Well, welcome to the very first episode of In the Rough. I'm Corey Michaels, along with your host, Nick Palacios, the executive director of First Tee Idaho. Man, we are going to have so much fun with this, talking about something that is so passionate to so many people around our great state. And we have such wonderful courses, individuals. We get a chance to be able to to highlight some of these great courses, different, different coaches, different people that are out in our community that are doing great things within the, the golfing world. But then also talking about our sponsor, which you are the uh, executive director of, which is First Tee Idaho. Yeah. So First Tee, you know, has been around, been in this area since 2005. And um, like, the game of golf in general, we've been growing pretty significantly over the mm-hmm. last year and a half. Um, so this was a fun way for us to, you know, to talk to different people in the golf community and Boise and Idaho as a whole is pretty, we've got a very tight knit golf community. Yes, we do. Here. A lot of great people involved in the game here that do a lot for the community. So we thought this would be really fun. Well, we're going to have a lot of great things that are, are that we're able to feature within the golf community and, of course, the kids and the individuals with First Tee. Then we're going to have special guests that are going to be on, like our first guest, really excited about. We'll introduce you to her coming up here in just a few minutes. But why don't we start with, at its core, what is First Tee Idaho? Yeah, so the intention of First Tee is to introduce young people ages 7 to 17 to the game of golf. And, you know, deeply embedded in the game of golf is so many inherent values that can benefit them in life, whether it be school, whether it be at home, whether it be friends, right? There's just a lot of great things that are that are inherent with the game of golf that can benefit benefit them in those areas. And that's what First Tee focuses on, right? Introducing these core values to young kids through the game of golf. All right. Well, this starts at the the core of the nine core values Correct. with First Tee. What are those nine core values? So those nine core values are honesty, integrity, responsibility, uh, respect, courtesy, sportsmanship, judgment, perseverance, and confidence. And so those are really introduced in the player level of our programming, which is the first level. And then beyond that, they start, you know, setting goals for themselves. And it's fun just watching the progress of these young people as they go through the program. That's awesome. Well, since this is the very first episode and this is our origin of the, you know, in the rough podcast, what is your why? Why did you get started with golf? How did that kind of begin and then bring you now then to First Tee Idaho? Yeah, so I started playing the game of golf at a very young age, thanks to my dad. You know, I was very fortunate to have a father that also played the game of golf and really felt it was important to introduce me. So started playing golf around five years old and just immediately was captured by it, right? And uh, didn't play at a very high competitive level throughout my high school years. I enjoyed it and played on the high school team and it was fun, but didn't really have any chances of playing at the collegiate level. And, you know, shortly after high school, I... 
I worked at Plantation Country Club for some some great people. You know, a mentor of mine, Sam Houston, was the head golf professional there and gave me an opportunity to work for him. And I took that next step of getting my professional status so I could turn it into a career and start giving lessons. And, you know, after that, I went over to Hillcrest Country Club for about four years and was an assistant pro there and developed so many great relationships with so many people. And I uh, went back to Plantation Country Club as the head golf professional for a couple of years. And, you know, first tee of Idaho, they had approached me about my interest in taking over as executive director after their previous ED stepped down and thought about it. Golf means a lot to me. And so mm-hmm. this was a really cool way for me to be able to give back to the game and hopefully instill that same passion in uh, hundreds of young people around Idaho. And, and that is, that is awesome. I mean, to have your passion, then be able to be your actual career and to be able to give back. And that's a, that's a good hat trick right there. Yeah. Now for me, my part of this podcast is going to be the hacker side. (laughs) Uh, I have always loved golf. I've played since I was a kid, uh, grew up. Uh, in Kelly Ridge, which was a little area in far northern California. And we actually lived about a hundred yards, a couple hundred yards away from like the sixth green for this golf club, uh, golf course that was up there. So we'd go over there and sneak onto the green, you know, and like chip out of the rough and, oh, people are coming. Game off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we'd go back. I never got good. I'm really not. But I love playing. I love the camaraderie. I love hanging out with my friends uh, and just being out in the fresh air, enjoying this great game that I will hit one, two, you know, shots that make me look like I know what I'm doing per round. I like a lot of people listening, I'm sure, and that keep you coming back for more. So I love the game. I'm unlike Nick, I'm just not good at the game. So I will be championing all the people that are not good at the game, but love it. Yeah. So I think that's one of the great parts about golf, right? It's a, it's something people can enjoy for a lifetime. They can enjoy with friends. They can enjoy with family. It's an opportunity to get outside. And I think that's a big reason that golf has really taken off in the last year, you know, and light of this pandemic and everything that is, that's occurred, it was a way for families to get outside and spend some time together. Well, and even though some things changed, like, you know, they weren't able to get into most of the restaurant snack bars and those things at most of the courses last year. And okay, you had to have one person per cart. I mean, there was different regulations depending. But you know what? It was still one of the few things could still get out. I remember last April uh, of 2020, I it was a, the first thing I was able to go out and do with a couple of friends was go play golf. Yeah, we each had to have our own cart or whatever, but oh well. We were out, and we were enjoying each other and enjoying this great game, which was one of the very few things you could do at that time. Yeah, I mean, for example, for us, in 2019 summer classes, we had 437 registrations for our programs here in the Treasure Valley. And just last year in the summer, we had 641. So that's awesome. That's a significant uptick of participation, and uh, it. This year, 2021, we're already off to a hot start. 200 kids in our spring classes. Now we've got 280. They're going to be starting next week for our summer classes. And 
it's just we're hoping to get close to a thousand registrations this year so it's a lot of fun it's a fun time to be in the golf industry you know all my friends that are still working at the green grass facilities around here they're Mm -hmm. they're working hard they're working (laughs) long hours and some of them were saying i can't believe it's only may you know so (laughs) but it's great for the game uh the game's growing and uh what a fun way to showcase some great people in our community in the game of golf through this podcast and that's and that's what we're going to do we're going to be talking to golf pros we're going to be talking to uh different golf companies about trends and things that are happening within the game of golf uh we're going to spotlight some of the great courses that we have around here and of course the pros and individuals and the kids that are a part of first tee of idaho as well so i think this brings us time for our very first guest for the in the rough podcast yes absolutely you want to do the honors yeah Corey. um we're very fortunate we're very lucky specifically we have a lady dr linda pelikoff who is uh she's really a part of the genesis of first tee nationally yeah. and she lives in boise and we're very fortunate for our chapter to have her on our team and on board and um she's still a coach with us still volunteers a lot of her time um she's just wonderful and so we thought what better uh first guest than dr linda pelikoff yeah, when we talk about origin stories, well, let's go back to the origin. We learned that from Marvel Comics, by the way. You know, always go back to the origin. <laughs> well, welcome. We're so honored to have you in with us. Thanks, Corey. Nick, this is a uh, first-time experience, so I'm excited about doing this. You know, Linda, I was lucky enough to start getting to know you in September of 2019 when I first took the job with First Tee, and you were sitting to my left in that boardroom when I was meeting with the board, and I walked out of there and thought to myself, you know, she's she's a little bit intimidating. And <laughs> I shortly learned thereafter that you were uh, essentially developed the entire curriculum for First Tee. You and two other people, correct? Yeah, we started with uh, three people and uh, we added a couple other people throughout the process. I think it'd be cool just to learn a bit, a little bit more about Linda, and this would be great for me too. But you know, where you come, where were you raised? Where'd you go to school? You know, what were your intentions in college and things like that? Actually, I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, Ford Country, and um, love Michigan. I went to a high school that was modeled after some incredible libraries, and it was built in 1926. Henry Ford built it for all of his workers that were going to work the assembly line and so that their kids had a class act school to go to. It's on the historical registry. It looks like a castle. And everybody knows that it's uh, Fortson High School, named after Fortson, the city of Fortson, which turned into yeah. Dearborn, Michigan. So a lot of history there. When I was in school, a lot of immigrants different people from different places and right now it is the highest concentration of middle eastern descent uh and anytime they talk about the middle east there's somebody interviewing somebody from dearborn michigan really so uh when i went to school it was like 80 percent eastern european 20 percent middle eastern and now it's flip-flop it's probably about 90 10 Wow. So it's 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 a real diverse background of uh, people. So I've, I think that was kind of some of the things that I've experienced throughout life is part of my upbringing in that particular city. And then I worked the pools. Biggest job you could get in Dearborn was with the yeah. Dearborn Recreation. So I worked my way up from bathhouse attendant at 50 cents an hour to a dollar an hour. Then um, on to a lifeguard. And um, so I ended up in one of the 
problem area pools and uh, had a seven-year-old gang ki- a guy that, uh, you know, took care of you and made sure that everything was okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> kind of some interesting uh, yeah. on that. So, I like that. So that was my kind of youth. And um, I was the first person in our family to go to college. And I went to Henry Ford Community College, went to Michigan State. And my area of uh, teaching was mathematics. I was a math teacher in Wayne Westland School District for 10 years. Did you, when you were doing that, did you do any coaching as well? Ironically, I got my first coaching job because I was a female math teacher who was willing to coach. 1973, (laughs) right after uh, the Title IX passed in 1972. Mm -hmm. One of the things the school district wanted to do is make sure that they had women that coached girls sports and so I just had all the right qualifications, and I think I got a job within two weeks when I heard that, that they were looking for a math teacher willing to coach. I had never been coached because I was pre-Title IX, but I played all sports. I was, softball was my big sport, um, and I was a pretty good softball player. So when did golf start coming into the mix for you? When did you start learning the game? I think I learned it through my high school physical education class, and I kind of liked it. And um, I had a friend's mom that would take me out and let, you know teach me how to play and everything like that. So it was always a recreational uh, activity. When I went to grad school, I was the one, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was the one that had the empty... Uh, bag so some friends filled it with things that were beverages but I, yeah so i mean that was so i played a lot of golf through recreationally that. of yes, course recreationally. and then so in talking with you when did michigan state start coming up on the radar did you go there for your masters or uh, i did my bachelor's um the famous uh 1966 uh, notre dame was pro- I, I'm an avid football fan, and so it was just I wanted to go to Michigan State so because of the football and everything. Go be a Spartan. Yeah. I like it. So you're learning the game of golf. You're coaching some sports. At what point in that in your career did First Tee reach out to you? How did that come across your table? Well, that's, a, that's kind of a, a few years down the road. I think what happened was is that when – in 83, there was a huge decline um, in Michigan. All Everything was shutting down, and I had an opportunity after finishing my master's to go back and get my Ph.D. So sports psychology, and so I was offered an assistantship at Kansas State with Dan Gould, and he did a lot of youth sport research, and I was really interested in the area. So I did my studies and everything, got my PhD and all my research, and that's what brought me to Boise is I got a job at Boise State in 1987. So you got your PhD in sports psychology? Yep. So how did we go from mathematics to sports psychology? What, how, what piqued your interest there? Well, I think it has to go back to coaching mm-hmm. because I had never had the opportunity to be coached. I didn't know what a coach was supposed to do and how he or she was supposed to be encouraging to young people. And so I just wanted to learn how to be a better coach. And that's when I met up with uh, Dan Gould at Michigan State and They had a coaching program for a master's, and then I became very interested in, you know, motivation and feedback and 
getting the best out of individuals when they participate and everything. Institute a lot of the stuff that I learned within my own coaching. Um, moved up from junior high school coaching to high school coaching to junior college coaching in the sport of volleyball. So, and that's when I decided that it was good stuff. Were you a pretty <laughs> high-level volleyball player yourself? Heck no. no? I, <laughs> when they offered me the job, and, and you know, going back to the uh, math teacher, female, willing to coach, I had a choice between volleyball and gymnastics. Well, I knew exactly what, what I wasn't going to do. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think during the school year, I... Throughout the 10 years that I was in uh, in Wayne Westland, I think I coached swimming, volleyball, track and field, yeah, anything that they needed a coach for. So you've, you've devoted your life to <laughs> youth sports and, you know, having an impact on young people Absolutely. all across yeah. the country. And I think that goes back to my experiences as a lifeguard because we had a uh, water polo team yeah. that we traveled around the city and played. Mm-hmm. and um, So, yeah, and it was with disadvantaged or young people that didn't have a lot of problem uh lot of uh, opportunities yeah so with the sports psychology just a quick question did that have a impact on your own golf game as well just oh absolutely yeah. i could psych anybody out i could <laughs> ask questions uh, about you know i noticed that you're holding the club a little different than you have and, and then they would just be trash they you know, so yeah i can do it for the positive or for yeah. the, you know negative remember earlier when i said she was a little intimidating in uh-huh. the boardroom? Yeah. uh-huh yeah no i can see what you're talking about now <laughs> so back to so sports psychology that's what brought you to boise yeah correct and what year was that again that was 1987 okay and you became a faculty member for boise state what were you teaching just sports psychology i did classes? a lot of the uh the psychosocial type of classes so um and and i think i actually did a stats class when i first got hired but concentrate on motivation uh recovery from injuries the psychological and and working with uh ismi the uh idaho sports institute medicine institute they asked a lot about you know how can we get somebody physically ready but also mentally ready so with that being said and all of your experience with youth sports and your all your coaching and sports psychology background what do you feel like should be the top priorities for youth sports and outside of golf you know just getting kids into different sports yeah i think uh a lot of the literature would say is present a lot of opportunities don't allow kids to specialize too early and i think that's one of the biggest challenges right now is you got young people being hockey players from the age of two or you know uh, golfers because there could be a lot of injuries and you know overuse and so if you train only with one sport sooner or later it's going to catch up with you so yeah. if you look at, uh, like, Urban Myers is a good uh, coach to, that says he wants to recruit athletes, meaning that they're diverse, they, they can do basketball, football, and have mm. different kinds of experiences. So you train the body as opposed to just become a golfer or, you know, a football player. So Yeah, it makes sense. makes the athletes a little more well-rounded. And- yep ready for all activities so um on the faculty for boise state in the 80s and then was it in what what year was it when first he approached you that was 1999 i believe and i was actually uh, i believe that uh steve danish was the gentleman that uh was initially contacted and 
he had a program called uh, Life Skills. And so the gentleman, a donor for the first tee, contacted Steve to say, I think this is something that I'd like to see you become involved in. And so, so I knew Steve. I knew his program. He knew that I liked golf because when I moved here, I started playing golf with some incredible women golfers and played in a lot of the activities uh, in 88. I started playing, and so I really liked playing golf. It was a nice competitive sport, and uh, so, that, so, so I like golf, and then he knew that I did all my research with youth sports. So he kind of asked if I would be interested in being involved. So he was started, I think, in 97, 98, and then I joined in 99. Because first he did get, it was 97, correct? Yes. When the Masters, the USGA, yes. the PGA of America, the PGA Tour all came together and said, we need to do something. Right. And so they approach you, and at first, was that really exciting? I mean, were you ready to sink your teeth into it? It was scary. Yeah. I'm just going like, what can I contribute here? And, you know, and then especially when you're in kind of a negotiation where... What's, what should this look like? I think I remember a couple of quotes that kind of stuck with me. We don't want this to just be another junior golf program. We want to make sure that we teach kids about character development, life skills, things that you can use for a long time. And after starting that, I even saw myself think about things a little bit different as a sports psychology consultant. If we would have taught young people some of the skills at an earlier age, how to persevere and, you know, how to manage their emotions, they may not have needed a sports psychology consultant later on in life. They had those foundational skills. So at that point was, you know, when a first T class was the life skills priority. Yep higher priority than the golf skills. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I can remember the first national uh, academy that was held at Cobert Hills in Manhattan, Kansas, and life skills was in a tent, and then the kids went out and played golf. Three of us were just kind of saying, something is not right with this picture. And so we talked about this word seamless. It's got to be more seamless. It's got to be when they're doing golf, how can we marry the two so that they're on course practicing life skills? I mean, as a golfer myself and playing golf at a very young age, I mean, I wasn't in first tee classes, but I can look back on so many experiences I had with my dad just on the golf course where I didn't understand what I was learning. But, you know, just simple things like taking your hat off and shaking somebody's hand and, you know, showing that level of respect to somebody you've never met before, even at the age of 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, you know. So looking back on all those inherent values that I learned, it's really cool that First Tee really formulated that into a curriculum that's now international. Yep. And, I mean, it's interesting to us when we talk about starting off, anybody that plays golf, the inherent values as a person that plays the game, respect, etiquette, all the other mm-hmm. things that kind of go along with it. What was the most disconnect kind of information that we had as curriculum writers is there were the nine core values, but then there were the life skills, and we never connected the two for the first few years. And the other bit of information was is that we were told these kids were going to be 9, 10, 11, 12, so... 
right to that level, that cognitive ability. Mm -hmm. And I think the first statistic that they had when we attended a national conference was the average age was eight. And we had written things for a much more, more mature group of young people. So the first thing that we did when we had the opportunity is we added player as the entry level and we purposely connected the nine core values as the title of each of the lessons and then we mirrored uh, you know married those two together yeah it's fun i mean just from being a first c coach myself and running classes and just all those different moments throughout a session with kids it's there's so many coaching opportunities and talking about life with them. And it's funny hearing an eight-year-old, you know, when you talk about, hey, how can you show respect at home? Or how do you show respect in school? And some of their answers, it's it's really funny. It puts a smile <laughs> on your face. and It makes you love and get involved with the kids. So you guys are processing that curriculum, developing that curriculum. And that was in 99 when you got on board, you said? Yeah. So here we are 22 years later. First Tee is now a international organization. We have chapters in Canada and Australia, Japan, all over the world. How proud are you of that? I pinch myself many, many times with the opportunity that I had and some of the things that we accomplished. And I think the one thing that gets kind of missed is that at one point in time, we said, if the adult that's involved doesn't buy into what it is that you're trying to teach, all your curriculum is going to be for naught. Yep. So we mirrored the coach program. I think this started, I think it happened because we were trying to, to get the word out about First Tee, talk about the life skills that we had developed. But there was a lot of selling at the beginning. And then we finally got the coach program that taught volunteers, coaches, staff about how to deliver. So we came up with the kind of the key phrase of what we deliver, deliver being the life skills and then how we deliver it being the coach program. And it's probably one of the only organizations that has a significant coach program attached to the skills that are uh, being taught. Yeah. Are you comparing that to other, you know, T-ball and YMCA basketball. Yeah. And yeah mm -hmm. I mean, more often than not, right? Who coaches those programs? Dad's mom. The dads, the yeah. moms, right? Yep. You know, they, uh, yeah, I'll do it. They raise a hand and they get out there and they get involved. And I've got a, a buddy right now who's coaching his son's uh, little baseball team. And he tells me funny stories every week after their practices. But I think it's really cool that they did take the time to develop that coaching, you know, curriculum and uh, making sure those people were well prepared to deliver the, the program. So doing a little research on... Dr. Linda Petlikoff, I read that in 2011, you received the Kinesiology Professional Achievement Award by Michigan State. So what, tell me more about that. How did that feel to receive and what do you feel like, what contributions helped you receive that award? Well, first of all, I can't believe that you found that. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a deep dive, Linda. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. Um, actually, what it was, it's called the Crystal Apple Award, and it's from the College of Education at Michigan State University. And as a graduate of the College of Education, then what they did is they established the, this award in um, 1994, I believe for past alumni who get nominated by 
something that they're doing in their field of study or their accomplishments or, you know, their writing. And so Dan, my advisor, was um, a faculty member for the second time. He went to University of Illinois where I did my PhD, and then he went to uh, University of um, North Carolina, Greensboro, and then he came back to Michigan State to be the uh, director of the Youth Sport Institute at Michigan State. And so he was aware of what we did with the first T, the curriculum that we had written, and he submitted my name and went through a review review process, and I was awarded it. Well, good for you. (laughs) I knew nothing about it until I got it. (laughs) And then my last question, um, you know, golf is – the game of golf has done so much for me in my life. It's helped me get a job and develop – great friendships and sent me on cool trips around the world and it's gotten me into the studio talking with you but so I guess my closing question it's kind of open-ended but what do you feel golf has done for you in your life changed my life I just looked through a different set of lenses I remember after doing one training for the coaches at I can't remember where we were but I came back to Boise State it made me a better teacher being with First tee people, golf people. I actually called myself a hypocrite because I would lecture to students and I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or... So I changed my whole demeanor within the classroom and I had been a teacher probably by this time for 35, 36 years through the different levels. So um, so I think the, the doing... The, the first T stuff made me a better teacher at Boise State. And as far as the golf, as we started to develop the, the golf curriculum, I just became totally consumed by it. So I completed my LPGA Class A. I give lessons now. And the game of golf is, it'll do that. <laughs> it'll easily consume people. <laughs> I, think I'm a better, I think I'm a better coach at, the, at first T and everything. So yeah, I totally, totally, totally love it. Well, I want to give a sincere thank you to you for all you've done for hundreds of thousands of young people now across the world for your developing of that curriculum and the time and energy you put in that. And I'm sure there were some long nights and some stressful stretches, but you saw it through. And yeah. it's I feel like in the last year specifically, it's really blowing up. I think it's in a good place. I really do. So. I'm happy. I'm I'm happy to be involved at the chapter level, um, even though I'm not with the home office anymore. I this has been a wonderful experience. Now, is there is there anything that that you would like if you had this and you do have this moment to be able to say to any parents, any students, any potential first T kids? What would you say to them? Well, number one, I'd say sign up and get out there and give it a try, even though try is not a really good word. Um, But I think I like to think of try as the experience. I think we should, you know, like we go back to why should young people be in sports. I think all those experiences make us a different person as we grow up. And the more diverse it can be, the better off we're going to be. 
It was so good having you on. Well, thank you. Our first guest, <laughs> Dr. Linda Pelikoff, everybody. I think this has been a great first episode, and it's been exciting to get to to meet Linda and uh, to, to be able to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing. Now that we've gotten all the uh, background story and all that done, now it's time to start having a lot of fun, and we've got that coming up for you. I think we're officially off and running. I think we are, and we look forward to chatting with you next with In the Rough.